Hello, and welcome back to Rehydrate. This season, we'll be reading and discussing Leo Sushin's Death's End, the third and final part of the Remembrance of Earth's Past series. This is Season 5, Episode 7, Our Star, covering the sixth and final part of the book. We previously discussed the three-body problem and the dark forest, and I'll, all of the hosts have read the entire series. My name is Dan, and I read the entire series. This is Tim, and this is my first time reading the entire series. Uh, this is Amin. This is also my first time reading the series, and along with Dan and Talia, I co-hosted the uh, Rehydrate spoiler cast. So if you've been reading along with us and you want to dive much more deeply into some of the sections, you should go back and check those out too. And my name is Talia. As Amin just said, I've been the co-host of the spoiler cast. So this is my first time on the main show, having read the entire series before and very recently so we can wrap up this long trilogy. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us, Talia. Just another note about the show itself. Like I mentioned before, we're going to be diving almost immediately back into the Foundation Trilogy by Isaac Asimov. Um, we'll be covering the first three books that were written in chronological order. So the series is, there's seven books in the series, and some of them are prequels, but these are like the original three books of the Foundation Trilogy that include Foundation, Foundation and Empire, and Second Foundation. So the reading list is up on the website if you'd like to read along with us or just listen. This will be, like I said, the final episode for the Remembrance Earth Pass trilogy. And you know, even though it's a shorter amount of reading, there's still a lot that happens at the end of the book here. So let's go into the summary. So we start out with AA trying to comfort Chengxin about her role in the destruction of the solar system as they make their way 287 light years away to DX3906. That takes roughly 52 hours in their frame of reference. Upon landing on the more habitable planet in the system, which they call Planet Blue, they are greeted by the civilian cosmologist who was aboard gravity hundreds of years ago, Huan Yifan. He's not sure what happened to the Trisolaran fleets or Yantian Ming, but he received the broadcast from Halo and was there to meet them and take them back to one of the worlds that the galactic humans had founded. Even though this part of space is dangerous, Chengxin insists on waiting for Yuntian Ming, and when Yifan's ship detects activity on a nearby planet, Chengxin accompanies him to investigate. While en route, Yifan tells Chengxin about the grim realities of the universe, including that the civilizations routinely use the laws of physics as a means of attack, often dimensional attacks. Some civilizations even found a way to live in lower dimensions while attacking ones in higher dimensions, just as a mean as survival at any cost. Finally, he tells her the theory that the universe was once 10-dimensional and light speed approached infinity, but the endless dimensional attacks have brought the universe to its current state. They reach planet Gray and see five black lines radiating from the planet, which Guanifan calls death lines. These lines are made from extremely advanced curvature propulsion engines, and the speed of light inside them is nearly zero, and they have a possibility of rupturing, especially when they come in contact with other curvature propulsion trails. He recommends that they get away from them as quickly as possible. They make their way back to Planet Blue, and they receive a message from A.A. saying that Yun Tianming is there with her, and he has brought even another grander gift. Chengxin is awestruck as they make their way down to the planet, but their reunion is not meant to be as a death line's rupture and they find themselves traveling at the new, slower speed of light in the reduced light speed black hole or black domain that was caused by the rupture. Because computers can't work at reduced light speed, Guan Fan needs to start the process of booting the slower but heavily paralyzed neural computer to help them bring the life support back online. This process takes over 12 days, so they'll need to temporarily hibernate again to preserve oxygen. This process is ultimately successful, but it comes at a great cost. 
as they have now traveled at the new speed of light for almost 19 million years, meaning that Chengxin's chance to meet with Yuan Tianming has long since passed. Chengxin and Guanifan are able to reduce their speed and make their way down to the planet to search for any signs. When Chengxin remembers what Luoji had taught her in AA, that the only way to preserve a message over great spans of time was for words carved into stone, and they eventually find a message left to them from AA and Yun Tianming. We lived a happy life together. We give you a little. Survive the collapse inside. Go to the new. They find a rectangular doorway on the planet, and upon entering it, they are greeted by Sofan and their own pastoral pocket universe. The hope is that they are they will be able to stay in the mini-universe outside of time until the universe has a chance to reset with another Big Bang and they're able to experience the identic 10-dimensional universe. During their stay in the mini-universe, they receive a broadcast from a faction called the Returners who say that the universe will not be able to reset due to the mass that has been taken out of it into the pocket universes, and the only way to allow it to happen is to return the mass to the main universe. Chengxin and Guanifan decide to dismantle their universe and return the mass with the hope that there is enough inhabitants of other pocket universes to do the same to save the universe from the eventual heat death. The three of them take out a ship and set to exploring, leaving only behind a databank of human and trisolar knowledge and a self-sustaining fishbowl that will travel outside to the new universe. Yeah, so maybe let's just start with initial impressions. Well, this is definitely not how I imagined it would end. Um. <laughs> I think you had originally said way back that it was going to be one person on a planet alone. That's eh, sort of it's two people. Or Did three, I really? People. Yeah, you said like way back, like your kind of uh, your idea, your your thought of like what's going to happen is like maybe there's one person left on the Earth, right? Yeah, that's you know not happen, not exactly what happens, but you know it's it's interesting. It was an interesting take, I think. Yeah, I think I was just thinking about the overall course of bleakness that this that the uh, series was on um yeah but yeah a lot happens here uh i'm not sure entirely how i feel about it other than i kind of admire him for for you know taking the story to the largest scope possible uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and dealing with the collapse of the universe itself yeah there's you know some parts that seem pretty contrived along the way like uh with these things rupture you know these these death lines well they, they have the possibility to rupture and of course they rupture at the worst possible time um yeah. to kind of throw this wrench this kind of cruel wrench into you know which seems seems to me almost like a final little cruelty to cheng Xin that she kind of ends up with this rando that i don't remember <laughs> you know and not yun tiang Ming. yeah and i think like the even more cruel part is that you and Tian Ming probably made it happen. So one of the things I was noting in my my read here is like, so they mentioned like curvature propulsion lines will have the possibility of rupturing the death lines. And uh, they even say like uh, later on, I pulled out some of the quotes early on. They say, what kind of disturbance make them spread? Chengqing asked. She turned to give the death lines another glance. Behind them, the five death lines cast long shadows that stretched across the plane to the horizon. We're not sure. Some theories suggest the appearance of curvature trails nearby would cause a disturbance. We've confirmed that the curvature trails within a short distance can influence each other. And then later on, they say, how did it get here so fast? Chengxi met her as, as if still dreaming. So when she gets to the planet, gets back to Planet Blue, we're like, well, where did he come from? And then later on, after the death line's rupture, uh, it said, was it due to the disturbance from Tianming's ship? Perhaps. He didn't know but the death lines were here. So... Yeah, it's doubly heartbreaking that one, they don't meet together, and two, that Yun Tang Ming actually accidentally made it happen, probably. 
you know, he could have written this in a different way where Shangxin and Yun Tingming finally reunite and they end up being the ones that, you know, like get stuck in a pocket dimension and see the end of the universe. And I don't know if that would have been, you know, how fans generally take this, if that would have been more cliched or seen as more cliched in a series that's, you know, kind of a little thin on kind of touching character moments, you know, like I think that might've been a better ending. I guess I wonder how, what your guys take is on that. I kind of agree with Tim about how you admire Sishin Liu for expanding the scope, especially when you consider what you just outlined, how easy it would have been to write this ending. We fly to our star, you know, we have our date, Yun Tianming had his glow up and became a spacefaring vegan. And then he shares the little universe with her. But it's not the way it happens. And in fact, we have to push ourselves and imagine the laws. I mean, it's hard to imagine that that reunion would have talked about the laws of physics being used as weapons. And it would have been much more tempting to have just sort of a kitschy, let me tell you all these cool new space toys that the Trisolarans have invented, as opposed to probing into something. I don't know if it's darker, but it's certainly like deeper the way that this ending is piloted. Yeah, I think it's a final uh, expression of how indifferent uh, the universe is to any of our fates, and that it's, preserving our fates is something we have to do through sheer effort alone, and no one's going to help okay. us. Uh, but I, I do think there could have been a, you know, a slightly different ending where the ruptures happen and she gets stuck in the pocket dimension. The same thing happens just with Yun Tiang Ming. And again, it, again, it just seems like a little cruel to the character itself to not yeah. have that happen. You know, as as kind of creepy and problematic as the beginning of their relationship and how it started is, you know, <laughs> it's a little dark for the ending. Uh, I agree with Tim, and I, and I think I think the like they just mentioned it in passing that AA and Yun Tingmin were, you know, they they were spending their days together. I think that would have been shifting perspective like i was more interested in how, what they ended up doing because not that there's anything wrong with her but Cheng Xin is just a less interesting character to me so like to spend a bunch of time with her and then like tim said this other guy who i barely remember would, would have been less interesting to me but um yeah i think everything tim and talia said i agree with i i just would have been a little more interested in maybe yeah like having some time with you and tiang min and like the book picked his brain and his yeah, experiences yeah. a bit more. Um, it's not that like I was that invested in, you know, Ching Xin and Yun Ting mean having their, you know, uh, final picnic together and having their moment. Um, like introducing this fourth character. Uh, it's a little cruel to AA too, because, you know, she kind of had a hot, you know, kind of, <laughs> she kind of had the hots for him. So, you know, yeah. But uh, it's not purely introducing. I didn't catch this until my, my reread that he was actually, in my opinion, kind of the most interesting character in the gravity blue space, you know, the chapters we spent with them. He's right. the cosmologist who, you know, drifts into the fourth dimensional space for the first time. And I think we all agree that, you know, talking about 4D was one of the highlights of, um, of their space voyage. I would advise rereading to see his character. Yeah, yeah I, it's part part of that is the consequence of uh, you know reading these chapters several weeks apart, so I right. you know, <laughs> kind of lost any sort of connection to his character. Uh, then. Yeah, that's that's fair. 
Yeah, so personally, I think I like this choice more uh, just because, yeah, I think it would have been a little bit too cliche if it was just Chengxin and, and Yun Ting meeting after, meeting after so long. Like, because that's kind of what we expect, right? Throughout the whole the whole book is that, like, especially when she leaves, when she leaves Pluto and they find they have curvature propulsion and they can get to the the new system, it seems like, all right, well, they're going to meet up and they're going to have a life together and, you know, restart the human race. But then, yeah, like the 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 cruel the cruel reality of the universe like kind of intervenes and doesn't really care about their their relationship. And yeah, we're also not exposed to too much information about the Trisolarans, which I think is also an interesting choice. You know, maybe good, maybe bad. But we also get a lot of perspective from the galactic humans from Guanifan about like what kind of the new state of the the universe is or the expanded understanding of the universe has. And I think like the conversation they had on the way to Planet Gray was great. How they she, he's like, do you really want to know this stuff? She's like, yeah, I want to know. And then she he tells her a bunch of stuff about the universe. And then she's like, oh man, <laughs> universe is pretty bleak. Anyway, I, I appreciate his, the choice he made to not make it just that kind of more cliche yeah, love story at the end and, you know, kind of sticks to its guns of, of what the kind of the theme of the, the entire series is. So yeah, speaking of like the kind of just bleakness, uh, I pulled more, a little more quotes, but and, and I like I said, I really like this conversation between uh, Chengxin and Guan Fan when they're going to Planet Gray to investigate it, and they they say, um, uh, for us, the dark forest state is all important, but it's just a detail of the cosmos. If you think the cosmos is a great battlefield, dark forest strikes are nothing more than snipers shooting at careless messengers, messmen, etc. In the grand scheme of the battle, they are nothing. You have not seen what true interstellar war, war is like. That's right. The universal laws of physics are the most terrifying weapons, and they're also the most effective defenses. Whether it's by the Milky Way or the Andromeda Galaxy, at the scale of the local galactic group or the Virgo supercluster, those warring civilizations possessing godlike technology will not hesitate to use the universal laws of physics as weapons. So I think one of my bigger things that I'd like to hear more about the story. Like if there was a sequel, I don't, there's not going to be, but if, if there happened to be a sequel, it was like kind of more about like this universe and the state of the actual like interstellar war and like what that actually looks like. So I, when one of my interviews that, you know, somebody asked me, it might've been Talia, I don't remember uh, if, if there's anything that I uh, wish there was more of. And like, that's the thing that I thought of is if more about the, the kind of state of the, the actual universe. That seems like a real tall order for definitely <laughs> for any uh, individual author to render. For, for sure. <laughs> uh, would you guys like, like to see more about that, though? Like, did you feel like it's uh, it, it was lacking in any detail or there was just enough detail um, to get you interested or are you just not interested in that part at all? I mean, I don't think he should have expounded on that more here because um, it's very difficult to see the the shape that that story would take or the so I think here it just kind of like it leaves just enough mystery and kind of just leaves enough to the imagination that mm. I think is, you know, I, I think he kind of got it just right here. I think it's all about choices. I mean, I think that the author does grapple with the entire universe because this character who survives to the end, Guan Yu Fen, he's a cosmologist. I mean, we have a lot of scientists throughout this whole trilogy, but cosmology is fairly contemplative. Most people don't think of it as very applicable or functional because you're speculating about the past couple billions of years. And Guan Yu Fen is the only person who kind of gives a perspective of peace and calmness when they're trapped forever 
knowing that they have to live the rest of their lives inside a black hole, not of their choosing. He just says, you know, I was driven mad wondering about all of the possibilities of the great universe. Now Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about that. So his scope shrinks and he's like, okay, this is the new perspective. This is what I'll focus on because I don't think it is possible to satisfyingly explore a universe that big. You know, eventually you have to make some kind of a choice. Yeah. And I think if the Trisolarians have been introduced with, you know, Yun Tian Ming, maybe that would have expanded the scope too much. You know, it would have made the book three times longer or something. Because, yeah, Liu Zixin wouldn't be able to help himself, right? Yeah. And I think where the uh, series ends up, uh, you know, from Guan Yufan's perspective, you're going to see the end of the universe as we know it anyway. So even those uh, godlike civilizations and powers are still reduced to just something that's just going to get sucked back into the singularity and uh you know it's like they were never there unless they created a pocket dimension i guess we'll get to it but uh you know this this idea of the pocket dimensions was really interesting to me um and of like mass being removed from the from the universe preventing its actual collapse yeah but i'd i'd like that uh i mean i he he kind of there's a short passage where he kind of addresses the question of like, why is the universe actually going to collapse and not expand forever the way that we understand, the way we understand it in our current time. And it's just, and I think he just kind of says that uh, there's just way more dark matter in the universe than we, that that we know of. Mm -hmm. But the idea that we essentially have to like, literally have to shovel the dirt of this pocket universe back into the regular universe. Otherwise it's not going to be, you know, uh, massive enough to collapse in on itself was, uh, right. Yeah. Really interesting thing to me. Yeah. And what are the tolerances, right? Like she like leaves behind the five kilogram data bank and fishbowl. Like, is that enough? Hopefully, (laughs) like hopefully there's still, there's still enough to, uh, to do it. And hopefully enough people, We'll, we'll also do it. But let's get, let's get to the very ending in a bit. Sure. Yeah, there's still a lot that happens prior to that. One of the more interesting things that I thought was the when they actually get stuck in the, the reduced, the, in the death line after they rupture, after they rupture, I keep saying rapture, after they rupture, how they have to like reconfigure their computers um, to, to work. And just the, the kind of relativistic theory behind all that stuff around like how the ship is now going at light speed and even though it's slower at light speed, but like the maximum speed of the universe at that point is still like the slower light speed. And that's why like the, the planet underneath like goes so fast. I think all that stuff was, was really fascinating. And like kind of looking into a little bit more, I found a video game that MIT put out. It's called A Slower Speed of Light. It makes like a simulation of like what would be if light, light did slow down to the point where you could like walk at the speed of light and like what the what it would look like. Um, so I really recommend people check that out. I'll put it in the show notes, but yeah, some of the interesting effects around um, time, time dilation and what was it, the contraction, like, so like when you go forward at the speed of light, like things look really far away and then the color starts shifting and then things start bending in weird ways because like the speed of the photons is the same as light speed. So they just look different and they're different colors. Anyway, uh, I'll, I'll, I don't know. Did you guys get a chance to look at that? Yeah, I watched it. It was pretty neat. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I didn't play the game, but I watched the video. Yeah, so it, I think it's a really good demonstration about like you know, what the speed of light actually does to people's perceptions. I don't know, it helped me understand it better. <laughs> it was nice to see just even really simple uh, principles that we already understand um, actually applied, like just something as simple as the Doppler effect. Like 
yeah. we all experience it in sound when you like go by a siren and it seems like the frequency of the sound is changing but actually like you know the red blue shift would happen for our visible light if you happen to be traveling at or very near light speed so i thought you know it's these deft little details that he builds in even if he takes some creative liberties uh, that sort of make me smile that said uh the, the question i had while watching that video was if you were slowing down the entire you know like slowing down that constant reducing that constant you know essentially you i mean your brain is also firing on uh its electrical impulses so your brain is essentially slowing down as well so if you were you know like the, the speed of light was just slowing down would your experiences within that universe like change at all you know because you would still like your relative ability to move would still be relative to everything else so well would your brain move slower though because like as far as i understand it and you know i'm not a physicist (laughs) as far as i understand it like it's just like the maximum speed of the universe is now changed Mm -hmm. and light happens to go at the maximum speed of the universe right so but you can't you can't go beyond that but our brains don't go at the speed of light and that's where they're able to use that yeah (laughs) they're able to use the neural computers because they're they they go at a slower speed a a slower speed similar to our brains but they're just like heavily paralyzed um so that's why i didn't think that would impact us at all because like nothing in our body moves fast you know anywhere close to the speed of light it would impact i mean chung shin and guan yifan do wonder like how is fusion still happening um how is the sun able to emit heat and light so i think Mm. there is a little hand waving like maybe the speed of light is the same inside um this massive you know sun which i mean could happen there's a lot of theories not that i'm a physicist but i think there are theories that inside the hyperpressurized, you know centers of suns matter takes on different forms or maybe follows different rules but i don't think it would affect humans all that much I don't think there's many examples in fiction where there's slower light speed, but if you read Terry Pratchett on Discworld, I think they do have hints or or maybe outright statements that talk about how their speed of light is pretty slow as well. Like you can see the sunset creeping up, like the light, you can see it come and hit your eyes, if that makes sense. I still wonder if the, you know, the, the synapses in your brain you know, are, are connected by electrical impulses which electricity moves at i think it doesn't i think it moves slower synapses are pretty slow i've worked (laughs) for the summer i worked in a neurobiology lab like we can intercept them (laughs) they're pretty slow so we're saying yeah the 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 speed at which our brains yeah happen they seem fires it is is so it's you know i mean i I mean yes is fast by is fast but is still so much slower than the speed of light compared to the speed of light. Yeah. It's super slow. I mean, um, unless yeah. if the speed of light slows down, then everything else relatively slows down with it. I think it's just the maximum. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, and that's why like they, that's why when they're, they're traveling really fast, right. Much faster than the reduced light speed black hole. Um, and then, so like they get stuck now at what's called light at light speed, right. That's they're hitting. They first, get stopped right they find like that big jarring um when the they actually hit the, the light the reduced light speed but their, their ship is still traveling at what's now the new light speed but the planet below is still orbiting at like really sub light speeds and that's why they you know because like they're traveling at quote-unquote light speed that the planet below goes so many years into the future frank mentioned in the singer chapter that he liked it because it wrapped up 
so many of the mysteries from the previous three books. And I find that this chapter does as well. When Guan Yifen mentions that the entire universe is inside um, or a solar system, whatever is inside a reduced light speed black hole, then the known constant C will change, like a constant will change, which sounds paradoxical. But it finally wraps up a metaphor from really early in the first book in Three Body Problem. We talk early on about a turkey farmer and a shooter. Um, if you remember that, I pulled the quote. It says, in the shooter hypothesis, a good marksman shoots at a target, creating a hole every 10 centimeters. Now suppose the surface of the target is inhabited by intelligent two-dimensional creatures. Their scientists, after observing the universe, discover a great law. There exists a hole in the universe every 10 centimeters. They have mistaken the result of the marksman's momentary whim for an unalterable law of the universe. When I first read that in Three Body, I was like, okay, but why <laughs> mention it? And now it's wrapped up and we understand like we see these constants as constant, but in fact, it's just the whims of these type three civilizations like flicking attacks at each other. And they even talk about like how our our speed of light, our our C, is even slower than what it actually was in the in the beginning of the universe, right? Or even hopefully in the new one, as that it's it, it's near infinity in the mm -hmm. in the new one. So our light speed will be super slow too to the people. And then like uh, they say later on, like uh, they would reduce the the speed of light and like wouldn't even notice. They would just figure that that's the speed of light and take it as law. That's a good good callback. Yeah, I think that's why. Uh... I forget his name, but the the character from the previous section. Wang Yao? Uh, the no, uh, um, it, it was a one-off character, but the one section about, uh, and, and our, again, it's a consequence of reading these, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, several weeks apart and all that, but uh, the, the one character who's kind of brain go, kind of melts down because he, I think he comes to the realization that the... Oh, by eyes. Yeah, the um, yeah when he has a dream about about dinghy. Yes, exactly. That yeah, dinghy, yeah. But, mm -hmm. but uh, he, it's intimated that he's essentially kind of going insane in his dream because he comes to the he took the due to pill. the realization that yeah the universe's <laughs> constants are not constant. Um, yeah, and can be so. Fungible. Why bother studying them? Yeah, right. Yeah, and then yeah, like physics, all this. Yeah, we've been studying something that's just you know a whim, maybe, basically. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what's causing all the suicides like way back, right? Like not only did they realize that the that physics is not is not what they thought it was and that that yeah, the constants aren't what they maybe they have like the real the same realization that DE does and that's why, you know, early on in three body problem all those scientists commit suicide. Yeah, we're just studying what one civilization turned the dial to for our sector of the universe. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So another thing I, you know, speaking of uh, going, going back to the, the to the game and to the Doppler effect. Um, so I don't know if it's an explicit 2001 reference, but it definitely reminded me of the sequence in 2001 where they go through the the gate and the, all the colors shift, but like the world looks kind of similar. Um, so the quote I pulled, it says, uh, the yacht had landed in the middle of blue grassland, not too far away. They could see the rolling mountains covered by snow. The landing site was a near near the foot of a mountain range. The sky was a light yellow, like the ocean when viewed from space. The light red sun shone in the sky. It was now it was noon on planet blue, and the sky and the sun's colors made it resemble the dusk on Earth. So that section, you know, they're not going through the the gate, and it's not because of the Doppler effect, but just the shifting in colors from planet blue just kind of like 
opposite of what our colors are. Uh, it just reminded me of that sequence from 2001. And then I also wonder if the pocket universe itself is a reference to 2001, just a, a room <laughs> that's kind of outside of time and where the, the laws of time don't really have the same meaning and just seems really self-contained. So yeah, I'm not sure if that's that's also a reference, but when I when I read it this time, I was looking for 2001 references, and I think that might be one. I don't remember enough about 2001 to. <laughs> oh man, you should rewatch it. I know, I really should. <laughs> you should yeah, rewatch it every every it, couple years. It's like been I... <laughs> 25 years, I think. Yeah, the, the call out about the room that's that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but now that you mentioned it, that is yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, it makes complete sense that you'd make the connection. Right. I, you know, I didn't put it together until this, this read and I've read this, you know, four or five times by now. Um, so yeah, I, but I think it's cause I was looking for more references this time than, than previous reads. So the next thing is, so there's a point brought up on the spoiler cast about if other civilizations have technology similar to Sophons. There's a lot of talk about communication and, you know, not communicating and not broadcasting your core or not telling people what your coordinates. I think is really, really fascinating. And the quote is saying, uh, no one knew what other extraterrestrial monitoring equipment might be lurking in the system and any communication could expose them to danger. So just the, the whole premise of like how coordinates like in in a really dark forest state where, the, where they're at like exposing your coordinates is like the biggest social faux pas that you can have similar to asking a, a woman her age and you know back in the back in the day i don't know did, did you guys find that part interesting did it like spark things in your mind like that's one of the things that sticks out to me is like thinking back on this section just even before i started rereading it it's just like the the nature of just coordinates being you know the most powerful information that you could you could have I mean, the the one thing that the the series like never quite answers is why exactly every civilization is so terrified, you know, of each other, and why like it always comes down to conflict, and why everyone is, you know, and why like cooperation doesn't seem to be possible in this universe. I think that's answered. Yeah. Yeah, the dark force principle kind of answers that, right? Like they they talk about like how you have no idea about. The motivations of the other ones so it's better to just fire first and and the major and, and the biggest motivating factor for anyone is the survival even just to the point where like they lower themselves to two dimensions it's further explained in this chapter yeah. more than in the entire dark forest book because if we suppose that these cosmologists are correct and the speed of light was once near infinity you would be able to observe from very, very far away. You could observe and communicate at such a fast distance. How many stories have ended in tragedy because you know it took too long to get the message across somewhere? But it only takes one malevolent actor to you know fire too early or attack anyway. It takes one like Wade in any civilization to lower that and make it harder for everyone. And increasingly you become unable to observe across 16 billion years in a Planck's time. And so, you know, the chains of suspicion start then right. and then voila, we're back at the dark forest. It's pretty bleak. I'll, I'll give it that. People are divided on whether this is bleak. Really? <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was surprised about it. Yeah. It's, it 
it's just kind of sad that yeah, like there are no, well, maybe maybe there are stories of cooperation. That this this universe could be you know full of uh, you know small pockets of time where a uh, you know there was happy cooperation between civilizations, and then they got blew up by someone else. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, I wouldn't call it happy cooperation, but, you know, between Earth and Trisolaris, there was cooperation for some time, you know, it was kind of predicated on, on lies and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, trying and deception, but, you know, there was, you know, some kind of cooperation, like Trisolaris could just, could, could have easily just, you know, fired some, you know, put our coordinates into space and had us destroyed, but they needed our planet, right? Like I said, it's not friends but there was definitely more than just a dark forest strike towards us from from trisolaris so presumably in the other millions and billions of civilizations that are out there in the universe like there's other stories of cooperation and this is all takes care of takes place in our galaxy even like who knows what happens like outside of our even our galaxy that's what was so funny from the singer chapter he like glances and says oh they're practically on top of each other and it's yeah. funny because in the <laughs> first and second books it's like Every single chapter heading begins, you know, like, are the Trisolans here? And it's like 4.2 light years, 4.19 light years. Like, it's an interminable amount of time for us. And in fact, they never get here. But to an outside perspective, <laughs> it's like, oh, they're like practically neighbors. They're just right next to us. Yeah, there's even like civil talk about civilization being like 400 years in the future. I can't think about that. That's too far. Like, what's this worry about now? And then like in the, in the, the galactic uh, time scale 400 years is nothing right it's like a blink of an eye well that's a constant theme throughout all of uh throughout all, i think all of the books is uh yeah humans like trading sh- short-term happiness for uh making the right move on a long-term scale like how many times do we get uh you know humans rationalizing well like we're gonna be able we're gonna be able to like live out our ha- you know our lives in relative peace that's good enough for us right <laughs> If that choice is even offered to you, you know, because Changshin and Guan Yifen thought, you know, we just talked on the radio, we're going to hop down, it'll be 10 minutes, and it ends up being 18 million years. I think when I was trying to read this passage in Chinese, which is very, very slow for me, I think they actually use an idiom to talk about the length of time, or rather it's translated in English as, you know, a moment here tens of thousands of years out there if they're orbiting at light speed. I totally mm-hmm. forgot about this idiom until now. So my pronunciation is going to be bad, but I think it's and it's like the, the sea turns into mulberry fields instead of one year here, many years out there. It's just like in the blink of an eye, the landmarks that you live your life by, like I always know that there's a sea. If I go out to the coast, there's an ocean. And if you just woke up and suddenly that was a mulberry field or something different, it's unsettling. It's uneasy because you you didn't yeah. get to make that choice. Yeah. And yeah, and the planet even turns different colors when they when they go back. Right, and the mountains are gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they land in the same place and they're like, "Hmm, are you sure?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I guess when we was hop into talking about the Pocky universe themselves, uh, Tim, you had mentioned that you 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 thought that was an interesting construct. That I guess what other thoughts do you have there around the Pocky universes? I mean, I I found it like a, a little cliched uh, in that it in that it kind of like resets to this pastoral you know setting, 
but it's also kind of what I would like expect for a pocket universe to house humans and you know uh, appeal to human sensibilities. Uh, I, I thought it was an, I thought it was a cliched, but I've, but I, but like I don't know what else you would do with it. I thought the I, the the fact that Sofan was there was a little interesting to me. Yeah, I mean the, the I also thought that too, but you know it was built by or it was, it was commissioned by Yun Tian right. Ming and the Trisolarans, so right. and they presumably have a bunch of these Sofan robots and they share a consciousness somehow. I, I think it works that way. So I suppose this kind of does you know represent at the end of uh, at the end of all life uh, or like not all life but at the end of the universe some repre- representation of cooperation between civilizations here kind of going against my point earlier that <laughs> and i think there was a there was a mention later on that they they had hoped that like once the all the pocket universes like emerge in the new new universe that they would all kind of meet up and work together because they basically would be from you know the same time and th- there was a hope there if if that was to happen so there's more a little bit more couple who knows if it actually happened right but but also always begs the question of what exists outside of the universe you know this this it's just still one, you know, what medium can this possibly exist in outside of the universe? Right. You know, that's, that's, that's just one thing you, the, the one thing you kind of have to take it for granted here. And, you know, maybe the, the biggest mystery of all that he maybe doesn't have an answer for is like, how, how can something exist outside of the universe? What does it, what houses it, what it is like, like what's the medium, what's the fabric of the medium that exists outside of the universe? That, I kind of know. like how very non-metaphorical he is. Like paint people into pictures means, you know, turn them into pictures, excerpts yeah. from a past outside of time. Literally it's a memoir from something that was outside of time. I don't think <laughs> yeah. he imagines anything outside of the universe more than just outside. Yeah, well, I, I mean, because you can't. That's that's kind of where the the limits of that's our imagination point, yeah. can go to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, isn't there a theory that like the universe is actually like eleven dimensional? But they only talk about like ten dimensions. So you can't you know, get past just... ten because you have to consider everything. So yeah. if you consider anything else, then you violated your own axiom. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I can't think past two dimensions, most much as three sometimes. But maybe that's the threat that Guan Yifan has. He says, you know, I don't even believe that. But they say there are some parts in the universe, not just where the laws of physics are changed or broken, but even the fundamentals of mathematics. And mm-hmm. Cheng Xin yeah. can't even imagine that. I think you mentioned like it's hard to imagine that <laughs> that the author could resist writing about 10 dimensions <laughs> like how could he not <laughs> want to talk about yeah. the edenic age i think he kind of skirts the line he makes us think about what if there were no <laughs> like principles of math and i think that's like the opposite of the edenic age like that would be the ugliest thing in the universe i don't know if you've solved some kind of math problem or remember doing it like even in grade school there's just this real like satisfying understanding or like oh that's that's elegant that makes sense yeah definitely. something about pi or geometry but if you could imagine like what if i don't know like a series of partial sums tending towards a limit that like, didn't converge like there would just be no satisfaction or beauty or elegance so i think that's probably the the ugliest thing in the universe if 10 dimensions is like the edenic age 
Yeah, I've definitely had that experience, you know, like mm. where math, like I've never been great at math, but like, you know, when you understand something and like how you understand, like how the system comes together. Mm. Um, yes, I think it's a reason I like programming so much is because like things make sense, you know, as, as you put them together and math is like, you know, similar to that where, you know, you figure out a way to do it and it just kind of like opens up your mind, right? Exactly. Um, so if, if that doesn't hold true in, the, in all scenarios or certain parts of the universe or people are <laughs> then suicide somehow is pretty attainable. <laughs> yes. Yeah, somehow attacking that. It's like, yeah, how could you even like make sense of anything, especially mm -hmm. to a scientific mind, right? But to the converse is a 10 dimensional universe as he, you know, attempts to describe it um, where the speed of light is infinity and you can go from, from one end of the cosmos to the other. Um, is that like what is life what is life there um is, is life kind of like what is there to explore there what you know like what makes you know like is it just too perfect is there just nothing you know like are you all-knowing it's like uh, it's like god mode right yeah it's like is it is it is it so heaven-like that it's just boring like you know what, mm. what what challenge is there what is there to learn to discover people are divided on on the end of this book whether it's bleak or or hopeful or just purely ambiguous yeah i mean we're not beings built for 10 dimensions that is as alien and terrifying and you know like to me as no dimensions in, in, in mm. a sense because i have no way of uh perceiving that or so a, a me that goes from three dimensions to a me that goes to 10 dimensions what is that is that am i am i the same being is that still death for me i'm just gonna sneak in this plug for asimov as we are starting our next show to be the asimov foundations i think he has a quote about this so asimov says life is pleasant death is peaceful it's the transition it's troublesome i think that the transition that they choose in death's end is like I don't see the ending as bleak because I find it remarkable. They get to choose, shall I stay here in perfect safety or shall I go out and try and answer those questions Tim brought up? And it's, you know, it's simple, but it's impactful. And I think, I don't know, it ties up the series quite well. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different endings too, right? That, like, that, are, that make it up. There's the ending, there's the personal ending of, of Chengxin and, and Guani Fan and I guess So Fan. Um, you know, what they're their experiences are going to be like after they leave their pocket universe and experience whatever the current state of the universe is. And they're obviously not going to see the end of the universe because humans aren't going to last that long. You know, human life is only so, so, so many years, right. And the end of the universe is probably, you know, billions of years away still. Um, but there's also like the more universal ending, you know, do we, do you think that enough people actually return their matter to, to the universe? Like had the same, uh, human perspective on things to want to save the universe or will they be more selfish and keep the matter in the the pocket universes themselves but then because they are more selfish or more you know thinking about survival the universe will never will just you know experience heat death and never you know never come back and, and make a new big bang so you never see that that new universe again so that's a little bit more up in the air but i always saw like chungshin and uh guani fan's um story as is more hopeful or more more of a happy story you know where they get to explore you know the the universe you know for the rest of their lives yeah i didn't take it as a downer ending i mean there's again there's it's it's downer on a macro scale you know just as far as how bleak the you know the the universe is and how it operates uh but 
as far as their personal stories uh like yeah it, it wasn't bleak to me plus the you know the added possibility of human civilization uh living on but yeah i agree with you that the uh the, the one outstanding question that could be bleak is if the universe doesn't collapse in on itself which i think this is kind of like the last you know the last example throughout this whole series of kind of dealing with you know like both both humans and uh, alien civilizations as a whole their sort of inability to govern their environment or make good you know obviously their inability to cooperate their inability to like let the not let the externalities of their actions like pretty much destroy the universe or degrade the universe as we kind of you know like learned here that constant warring and constant use of of these dimensional attacks has essentially degraded the state of the universe and it's hard to it's hard to not see that as something of an allegory for like the way humans are now facing climate change Mm -hmm. and the sort of tragedy of the commons on like a universal scale and I don't know if he's explicitly making an allegory to climate change, um, because again, you know, that's just the most like immediate and obvious example that you know a, a human living in current times is going to come. That's to. the great filter that seems to be ahead of us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, like at the at at the end here, yeah, there's still that question of whether civilizations can make the right decision and sort of accept responsibility. Well, even down to individuals, like you mentioned before, like the fate of the universe could rest on whether one individual decides to literally shovel dirt. Like, that's it. (laughs) If you operate at this scale, your individual decisions can have an impact on the fate of the universe. Yeah. And this isn't a, uh, you know, this is an original theme in science fiction, but, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a, a good example of it in that as a universe, you know, evolves high you know high intelligent civilizations does that also spell its is the the act or so the 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 phenomenon of evolving high intelligence civilizations Mm -hmm. also the thing that like spells its own doom and that the thing you know the only thing eventually that kind of upsets those constant you know those edenic constants or those you know that pristine state that is like self-sustaining is intelligence essentially is oh boy you should read the gods themselves you should read the asimov (laughs) book it's a quick read it's fun right but yeah the brains well human brains or whatever counts as a brain for an alien is the the sort of unmaking uh like represents like the, the starting point of the unmaking of the universe um well, the good news is that for us, we made the list on yeah. the, the the universal list of, of languages of civilizations. They we, we made the yeah. list. We're, we're, we're millions of in, millions of uh, languages in, but we made it. <laughs> <laughs> so good job, humans. Yep. <laughs> how would it mean? I mean, what did you think of the of the ending? How, how do you perceive it? I thought it was fine, but really, to me, it was and and maybe maybe I'm misunderstanding how the mass of the universe part worked, but to me, it seemed like kind of a a prisoner's dilemma where they had to assume that the other micro universes uh, inhabitants were going to do the same thing because, you know, and I think that puts a lot, uh, I think that puts a lot of trust and faith in other people and other alien civilizations and whatever, whatever, whoever is in the other ones. But yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was fine I think that trust is like is kind of baked into Chang Ching's character though, right? Like she Yeah. 
Yeah, like that's that, that's that's a well established that that's it's her, a move that makes sense for her to make. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm saying I wouldn't make that decision because <laughs> I, I don't trust people that much. <laughs> that is the prisoner's dilemma. I mean. Yeah. Um. I I thought it was I thought it was, uh. I thought it was fine. Again, I I thought the, I thought following AA would have been more interesting only because I don't think Cheng Shin's that interesting of a character. I guess. But they're both notes of dust. Like, why does it matter which one you follow? They're like individual humans on the scale of billions well, and billions of years. That's true. So I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the, that's that's the even bigger tragedy uh, of them not meeting up is that AA and Changshin don't get to meet the back of each other <laughs> more than uh, Yun Tian Ming. I care more about their relationship. I think. But yeah, I think from Changshin's and Guan Yufan's perspective, even in that pocket universe, like there's not much like there's not a whole lot of hope there in that it's a very limited environment what are you going you know are you going to have children and then they're just going to like continue on in this tiny tiny little world like it seems kind of depressing to stay like well, it doesn't seem only, like that's a good fate you know they said it's only gonna be like 10 years between you know in their time reference that until the the universe resets or right. they're, that's what they're expecting. So like they don't need to stay there forever. They're just hoping to hold out there until the collapse, right? And then, then they'll have the life in the new to net ten dimensional universe. I mean, it seems like they made the best decision. Like that's like I feel like that's the decision I would you know like would make that they we're gonna we're gonna leave you know five kilograms left that you know th- thankfully we can record all of human civilization and human thought into this five kilograms or whatever. You know, yeah. whatever is left and then we can go on at least at least have one more space adventure instead of just kind of and just kind of twiddling our thumbs for 10 more years here yeah they made the same decision as the princess and the captain of the guard in the fairy tales like we'll just right. leave everything behind we'll never be able to come back we'll seek our fortune and no one will know what happens to us or at least no one that we knew before well there's no one left to know what happened to <laughs> yeah but i unless maybe there are some well that's what you would want to find out. Are there some, you know, human civilizations after Perhaps. 18 million years still hanging out out there? And what do they look like? Probably not. But yeah, who knows? No, but it would be yeah, extremely interesting. Like I would want to know what 18 million, you know, like what those ravages of time look like more right. than I would rather have Maybe 10 the dinosaurs more years of just kind of yeah. escaped into a pocket universe and we'll get to meet them. <laughs> So speaking of 18 million years, in the beginning of this book, I advised him not to, or I advised all readers and him not to look at the table of eras. Um, did you go back and look at the table of eras? No, and, I did. Oh, okay. So the in the table of eras, the, at the end of it, they have two eras. They say Black Domain Era for uh, DX3906 system, 2687 until 18 million something. And then timeline for universe 647, 18 million something to dot, dot, dot. So I don't know. I consider that to be a spoiler because it kind of, and maybe that's like hindsight because I know what happens. Um, if you had read that, that we saw, we would see the the eras go into 18 millions. Would that have potentially been a spoiler for you? Sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it would just give you an idea of the the scope of this, you know, story yeah. and where it's going. And I kind of had, you know, I said at the beginning, you know, this is not how I expected it to end, but you know, I, I had an idea that it might end, you know, with something like th- this extrapolating, the, the, you know, the way the scope of the series had, you know, expanding, kind of extrapolating that, you know, it wouldn't have been a huge surprise, but yeah, I think I, I was happy not knowing that, like, I don't think I would read it 
would have rather have seen that that timestamp. Right. And that the chapter, like if you look at the t- table of contents in the chapter, they're even more specific. There's a lot of them that like give specifically like the, you know, what happens in that chapter. Like, they, they need to be better about that, I think. Yeah, no, I explicitly like read this on uh, Kindle um, kind of so I wouldn't accidentally like flip through something and see something else, which also like on a Kindle, it makes it hard to like go back and reread chapters, which is why I'm sometimes forgetful about things. You know, I figured mm-hmm. I would just like limit the scope of what I was reading for that week to just those passages, you know, which is easy on a Kindle, but and keeps you unspoiled for the future. Also makes the past chapters, especially if they were weeks and weeks ago, seem a little distant and hard to go back to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about the series. You know, we talked a lot about this book so far. We're already an hour in, but I want to talk more about the series in general because now we're all finished with the series. We all know the same amount of information. Tim, you brought up a couple times that you'd want to see like the description of the Trisolarians, and obviously we don't get that. Do you feel disappointed we didn't get that? Not necessarily because that's obviously not the story he was telling at this point you know like i am always interested in like in that and the physiology and biology or you know the conceptualizations of of other aliens but that's that's simply not the point of the story he was telling here um and i you know came to you know understand that like it would have been neat but it's not like a disappointment yeah so i I will say that there is a fan fiction book that was written that has sort of the blessing of Lucian that that does describe the Trisolarans and yeah I don't I don't know it's yeah it's not that great <laughs> I mean my state of mind after say the first book you know to find out that you never you know like would have been disappointment because that's kind of what I expected at that point you know um, yeah but uh yeah I mean it's the story expanded and took turns that yeah I mean that's just simply not the story he was telling so I think it's funny that we do discuss like mundicide and there's trials and considerations and then in the singer chapter like the whole concept of persecuting someone for that is just laughable like they'd be persecuted for not committing it um mm. so it's funny <laughs> to see that in a different perspective no, I, I yeah. am always interested in getting other people's perspective on the series, and it's just a real treat to be on a show where now everyone has read and there's no spoilers possible. Yeah, so that, that reminds me, um, you know, so as I was reading the series, like I kept noticing Crimes Against Humanity getting mentioned often, and it's like, man, there's a lot of Crimes Against Humanity. So like as I was like making my notes for the, the podcast, I kept a list, a running list of the Crimes Against Humanity. So we have Escapism, Frederick Tyler's Plan, Probably is crimes against humanity. They don't really explicitly say it. Uh, Diaz's plan definitely was a crime against humanity. Um, escapism again after the droplet and then the battle of darkness. Um, using radio communications after the knowledge of the dark forest is a crime against humanity. Bronze Age's role in the battle of darkness, crimes against humanity. Uh, the ESS role in helping the Trisolarians during the Great Resettlement. The photoid observer thinking that giving humans a mere 24 hours um, of a photoid attack is a crime, crime against humanity. And finally, Thomas Wade was convicted of crimes against humanity, war crimes, and violations for violations of the laws prohibiting research into curvature propulsion. Very liberally uh, used uh, crimes against humanity for something that we, you know, consider to be pretty much like the biggest thing you can do. But there's quite a few of them. But yeah, and where the series goes, you know, like uh, it. Uh like progressively makes all of those like crimes of humanity, you know, and all of those, you know, in the moment, which seem like enormous uh, events, 
seem smaller and smaller and smaller and less significant as it goes on. Right. Yeah, and and not only that, but like they're they're wrong, right? Escapism was the way of survival, right? right. <laughs> not a not a crime against humanity, but like it's the only way that humanity was able to survive was by having the galactic humans like go out and you know explore and explore space. So most right. of these are 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 null and you know and also cover of propulsion was like the way to escape the dark forest strike. So most of these are not even really crimes in, in hindsight. But again, the small thinking of humans and the the, the limited perspective. Um, yeah, so I kind of want to go over just some general thoughts around the series and you know and see what you guys think. So uh, first thing I'm interested in is like, what is your favorite book of the series? And we'll start with uh, Talia. Uh, my favorite book of the series remains the third book. Uh, I do think it's richer. Uh, there's less just waiting around, like the entire first half of the second book. I think a lot of action happens packed into the second half of the second book and to the final chapter of the third book. So I think the pacing is better in the third book. And I also, you know, as evidenced by like the shooter hypothesis making sense and things from the first book finally being relevant again, I think it just wraps up the whole series. And so it's more than some of its parts. So I wouldn't necessarily just read the third book in isolation, but it is unqualified still still my favorite how would i mean i think the three body problem the first book was my favorite um interesting i'm glad i guess i'm glad i read the other two but if i just read that one i would have been just fine with it i thought that one did the best job of building mystery and tension and suspense into it um just because until the very end you don't you didn't actually know anything about the trisolarians and i thought the other ones we got yeah they they were less evenly paced in my opinion, but I thought the first one was my the one I would recommend people read, even if they don't read the other two. Interesting. How about you, Tim? Yeah, I mean, it seems like a, a somewhat common perspective out there that there's a lot. It seems like there's a lot of people who uh, like like the first book, but don't like the rest of the series. Um, I don't agree with that. Um, I I, uh, I sort of agree with both Amina and Talia's points about like the different, like, uh, like I agree that the first book, uh, like set, like that's what I like about the first book the most is the sense of mystery to it and the way it sets that up. And, you know, like the way it kind of like lets your imagination run wild or at least provides a lot of like fodder for that. Mm. Uh, and uh the 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 second the the book two i completely agree with talia the first half of the book is if i hadn't been reading this for assignment might be where i would have checked out (laughs) um and then the second half from like a page turner pure like i can't wait to see what happens next uh was probably my favorite part of the whole series uh, mm-hmm. So it's like an mm-hmm. extremely uneven book and that it kind of shifts from maybe my least favorite to my most favorite, just kind of part of the whole series. That's cool. And the third book is, um, it's very, it, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot of interesting parts jammed together, a lot of big events, a lot of cool settings that we often observe at just kind of a distance, you know, like things that could be its their own settings in themselves australia the bunker project it is absolutely the most i think the most interesting book like overall like it wraps up so much like i can't imagine me personally just reading the first book and just kind of like leaving it there because there's like too much you know too much because i need to know 
but yeah, I would I would say I like the first book. I mean, the, sorry, the third book overall, like just kind of taking in the series of a whole, you know, as a whole, and just like the compilation of things that happen there. Um, yeah, it, it's hard for me to give you a straight answer on that because yeah, like, but I find the second half of book two the most enjoyable from the pa- from a page turner uh, like perspective because I was just interested in the world building of that future world and of the the more direct interstellar conflict between the tri- Trisolarans and you know the humans and in uh I mean in fiction in general like. You know, I tend to read fantasy more because I, you know, the thing that like more like directly compels me to read something has, you know, more to, usually involves more like character drama, intercharacter drama set against like settings that have like a lore and a history to them. And fantasy tends to like, you know, deal with that more, more so than like sci-fi. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parts to, you know, uh, the series where like, I would have liked to have seen like you could even like like for example the Parker project like and that like series of like space stations you know like um like that was a really interesting setting to me a uh, like sci-fi novel you know that would be like more like immediately like compelling to me you know would be something like set in that setting which is that's kind of what the expanse kind of is you know um it's just this yeah. kind of like inter you know like solar you know like series of interesting you know like how do we survive in this space you know uh yeah totally yeah i I, I love the expanse too just for yeah for the more realistic setting of like what it would actually be like to live in a space-fearing um right and you know i i kind of come to you know fantasy and sci-fi a lot for you know that kind of immersion and there you know there are times you know like there are times when this series like provides hints of that like i said the second half of the second book and then it kind of moves past that so you know i'm really glad i read this um and i glad i read this as part of assignment reading um i guess <laughs> like kind of like you know because there are certain points where like it was not a, a you know a, an immediate page turner for me you know like the first half of like the first half of dark forest so yeah, I, I think I, a lot of people turn off when they get to the jung yam part like uh what are you doing <laughs> what do i need to hear about your imaginary girlfriend right yeah i guess my you know i i guess uh my question to you guys um like if you've done reading for assignment versus reading for pure pleasure like how does that affect how you like evaluate a book and you know i've come to you know after this experience like i think you know having a mix of both is a good thing to have because you know you don't want to necessarily just limit yourself to what what is popcorn to you essentially because if you kind of like force yourself to move past that you'll come to something very you know maybe interesting or more you know thought-provoking that you wouldn't have come to yeah i'll say for me i'm not a very prolific reader and to begin with so assignment reading not only just to kind of forces me to to do it and the format of the show also helps me more analyze what i'm reading rather than just kind of reading it and like kind of maybe not paying attention all the time when you're reading. I'm sure everyone's had that experience. Like you read a bunch of stuff and like, what the hell did I just read? And like, you have to go back and reread it. So by having to make notes and uh, analyze what's ha- actually happening to to really think about stuff in the full context, I think made the experience better for me personally. And that's, you know, why we wanted, I want to continue the show and continue more series that I haven't read. So I won't lose interest or, you know, get lazy or that kind of stuff or just watch, you know, mindless TV instead of actually like reading these, these books that I've always, you know, should have read. I think you mentioned it on your interview with Priya 
where you talked about the spoiler cast and I think she was asking like, oh, so is the intention to like spoil it for other people? And you sort of admitted like, well, it's a place where I can talk about this book with people who have also read right. it. You know, <laughs> it's a forum for that. Um, I haven't read on assignment like probably since school. So, oh, and then I started reading on assignment since about March 2020. Um, can't remember why, but I did have a couple of reading groups and, you know, now this podcast. And I do think it, it helps for me to have some kind of structure, uh, particularly if you're not just like, you know, if you're scrolling through Netflix and you click on anything, you, there's no like obligation to finish. Like, at least as I've gotten older, I don't like watching bad shows. I'll turn off bad movies. But if I know that <laughs> someone else, you know, is expecting me to discuss it, then, you know, I'll keep at it. Yeah. I, for me, the the one, and there's no way to do this and have a podcast, but sometimes I wanted to read more than was scheduled to read. It was like, oh, this is like Dan picked some really good stopping points. And I was like, well, shoot, I wish we could read more. And then other times it just felt long and I wish I could read less. I think that's the <laughs> one thing it forced me to do is like to stick on a schedule like that. But um, I, I think I think talking about the book obviously helped me get through it. But I guess being able to, and of course you can't do it when you have four different people reading as much as they want to read. But th that was the thing. Like sometimes I wanted to read more and other times I wanted to read less. Yeah, I think getting back to the original question of favorite book, and for myself, you know, I still consider Death's End to be definitely my favorite. Just the grand scope of the book and all the scientific ideas, just like in you know the fairy tales themselves, like everything about that book, I just loved, and um, you know, it's the reason that I wanted to make you guys read it too, <laughs> uh, and you know, talk about it and have a chance to talk about it. And I think that's a lot of experience. Um, the question I have for Talia is, did your opinion change on reading the books? Mine, my, 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 the order of mine changed a little bit. Like I would go back and forth. Like Death End was always my favorite. Mm -hmm. I would go back and forth saying Three Body Problem is my second favorite or, or Dark Force my second favorite. And I, I right, currently as it stands, rereading it and kind of analyzing it, I'm kind of settled on uh, Death End, Dark Force, and Three Body Problem in, in that you know in that order. Um, how about you? Did, did your... Uh, I guess analysis uh, or opinion of the series or your favorite ordering change by Savory Reed? That's a really good question. I do think it has shifted partially because I get to listen to uh, people who write in and people who interview and I get to see a few new perspectives. And I did think that Three Body was, you know, it was my entry point to the series. It was what I read, you know, before I went to China. Um, so it was separated from the rest of the other two books by some chunk of time. Whereas once I picked up the second one, I immediately read through to the third. And going back a little bit more methodically, I think it did change and made me appreciate Dark Forest, despite its lurching narrative and inconsistent pacing, um, probably right behind Death's End. So I think now I have settled on three, two, one uh, for my preferences as well. Yeah, I think like initially I didn't appreciate the the sociological aspects as much when I first read it and as I did on the subsequent readings. And I think that's why, you know, even though, yeah, it the pacing in, in Dark Forest is definitely off and, you know, inconsistent, but just the, just, just the ideas that are brought up, I think are, 
are among my favorites now. I mean, it also just seems more fun. Like I, I look back at the second book and I'm like, yeah, I'd love to see them make a movie so I can like hang out with Dasha or like wonder <laughs> about the droplet again. I just think it's more fun than, I don't know, the whole video game, you know, Ready Player One did that. There's a number of like Ender's Game did that. It's been done. It's out there. Didn't blow my socks off. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, like the uh, the three body problem, actual parts, you know, were often read. Like I like the overall mystery of that the first book set up, but those parts to me were off, often to me like, um, for example, when you get like like long flashback scenes in other book, you know, books, and you're like, uh, like every time I got to like a three body problem part or chapter, it was just like, oh god, this again. <laughs> Like yeah. that, even though that's the whole like conceit of the first book is this VR game, those sections, you know, and you know, the, the, there's too many of those sections, you know, and, totally. yeah. and they kind of like killed the pacing a bit for, you know, cause I, you know, you, you kind of understood what it was, you know, fairly early on and it kind of goes back there a few too many problem times. Totally. Yeah. If they would, I, I was, I was glad they, stopped with it after a while like they i was glad it didn't i was i was assuming there would be the entire book could be like you know interstitial chapters of going to the game and i'm glad it stopped like you know halfway yeah. or a little half after halfway yeah you wouldn't have heard this because i only brought it up on the um spoiler cast but sushin leo actually does have a favorite of of his three books and what's that he says uh, my publisher and i reached the conclusion that since it was impossible for the third volume to succeed in the market, maybe it was best to give up trying to attract readers who are not already science fiction fans. Instead, I would write a pure, in quote, science fiction novel, which I found comforting, as I considered myself a hardcore fan. And so I wrote the third volume for myself and filled it with multidimensional and two-dimensional universes, artificial black holes, and mini universes, and I extended the timeline to the heat death of the universe. And to our utter surprise, it was this third volume, written only for science fiction fans, which led to the popularity of the series as a whole. Yeah, so it's... Like, he wrote the Cultural Revolution stuff to be relatable, but it wasn't. (laughs) It was, like, the expansion of the, you know, universe that was actually more interesting than something that was assumed to be relatable. So that's his favorite. no, I, I like that part. I like the way the series starts with the uh, the cultural revolution stuff. Um, you know, Yikes! I thought it was. I do pretty... not. <laughs> you don't. No, um, no, I don't. I mean, I thought like I thought it. You know, it, it was compelling reading. You know, to, to start off the series for me. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, we've brought it up time and time again in this series that like this this series is him throwing like this is a this is a maximalist series. This is like everything everything plus the kitchen sink, you know, like thrown into there. And that kind of, that, that, that quote kind of confirms it, that it was just him putting, putting everything he wanted to put in there and series. Sure. Especially the last book sure reflects that. Yeah. All right. Well, I just had, since we wrapped it up, this has been a long endeavor now. So I wanted to put together some quick stats around just the kind of production effort that went into it. Um, so we've had 45 episodes including main spoiler cast interview episodes, uh, totaling 34 hours, five minutes and 28 seconds of published time, which I I did a quick calculation and it, it's roughly around 94 seconds per page of the series. That's a lot of, a lot of podcasting. 
Uh, I didn't track the time it took to edit it, but it's probably in the order of like three times that. We have 1.855 gigabytes of MP3s out there, feel the download. Two applications that are developed by myself and Jim. So we have the website and we also have an update tool for the website um, to do that. And finally, the summary document, the document that I use to generate all the summaries for all of the episodes is 69 pages long with 33,740 words. So that's why my summary is always so long. It takes so long to do. Uh, and finally, I just want to say thanks to all the people who made this podcast possible. So first of all, Tim and Amin, thank you very much for joining me in this, like humoring me and you know, going along every week or every two weeks <laughs> to do this. Uh, it's, it's just really fun to talk to this, talk to you guys about this series. Thank you, Talia, for uh, being first interview guest and then helping uh, co-host a spoiler cast. Really appreciate that. Uh, Pri and Frank also for being interview guests and co-hosting this main show. Uh, Jim, who uh, joined us on the initial season uh, and helped a lot with the kind of back-end work. Josh, Yilmaz, and Adam, who were my interview guests. Sandra, my wife, who did a lot of the Chinese translations, and um, she she did the intro to uh, season one. Uh, Reddit, as a general whole, I've gotten so much useful information out of Reddit and the people in conversations and met Talia and Priya and a bunch of other people and Frank and a bunch of other people on Reddit itself. It's been an enormous source of information and topics to discuss. So I really appreciate that. And finally, the listeners. For all people who have listened or subscribed or will subscribe in the future, really appreciate your time and feedback. It's been a lot of fun to do this series that I love and I got a chance to share with everybody. So really appreciate it. And again, thank you very much for listening. Uh, please check out rehydrate.space for release episodes, reading lists, pronunciation guides, and all the other stuff that we put on there. And leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. And join us next episode for the start of the new season and the new series, which will be season six, episode one, the Psychohistorians and the Encyclopedias covering part one and two of the first book of the Foundation Trilogy, Foundation by Isaac Asimov.